Today's episode is brought to you by Discover Puerto Rico. Puerto Rico is home to a thriving culinary scene based on products and traditions from the native Taino, African, and Spanish peoples that have influenced it. When you go, there are a host of restaurants, bars, breweries, distilleries, farms, and coffee houses to dig into, from five-star experiences to local favorites. No passport required for U.S. citizens and permanent residents. Learn more and plan your trip at discoverpuertorico.com. Today's episode is brought to you by Westholm. We all know, from home cooks to restaurant chefs to eating enthusiasts, that the quality of your ingredients makes all the difference, especially when it comes to meat. Westholm, which is based in Queensland and the Northern Territory, Australia, is working with the land to create nature-led Australian Wagyu. They steward 16 million acres of rangeland, guided by the natural ecosystem where their cattle thrive. The result is high-quality Wagyu beef that reflects the terroir of Northern Australia and a flavor suited to complement any cuisine. Westholm believes that when nature leads, flavor follows. Learn more at westholm.com slash savor. That's W-E-S-T-H-O-L-M-E dot com slash saver. If your business needs a new application, then developers will have to write code, a lot of code. If an application needs to be modernized, then you'll need time, resources, and caffeine. If that sounds daunting, then you need Watson X Code Assistant, AI designed to multiply developer productivity so you can generate code quickly. Let's create a more modern foundation for business with Watson X Code Assistant. Learn more at ibm.com slash codeassistant. IBM. Let's create. What's up? This is your boy Lil Duval. And check out my podcast, Conversations with Unc, on the Black Effect Podcast Network. Each and every Tuesday, Conversations with Unc podcast feature casuals and in-depth talk about ebbs and flows of life and the pursuit of happiness. Unlike my work on stage, I tap into a more serious and sensitive side to give life advice and simply offer words of encouragement, yet remind folks to never forget to laugh. Every Tuesday, listen to Conversations with Unc, hosted by Lil Duval on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Presented by AT&T. Connecting changes everything. Hello and welcome to Saver Production of iHeartRadio and Stuff Media. I'm Annie Reese. And I'm Lauren Vogelbaum. And today we're doing a, a, a redo of Pineapple. Pineapple. Again. <laughs> pineapple 2. Yes. Or pineapple? Sort of. It's a it's a two point because we we did go to Hawaii, which you might know has a lot of stuff about pineapple, a lot of pineapple involved in their history. Uh huh. And yeah, we kind of have more to say about pineapple. We do. Um, we were just gonna do it as a as a classic and add a little bit of new info at the top, but uh, yeah, this was also I was I started to listen to it, and this was just such a super early episode, and I thought that that we could just do it better justice. It's one of my favorites. Oh, I mean, you know, pineapple is one of your favorites, isn't it? Yes. <laughs> also that, but also the history of this one. Fascinating. Oh, yeah. Oh, my gosh. Um, and, I mean, for, furthermore, yeah, like, basically everyone that we spoke with in Hawaii uh, talked about pineapple. Yeah, it was one of those things where, in the back of my mind at least, I kept thinking, well, well we've already done pineapple, <laughs> but, but they're all talking about pineapple. <laughs> Maybe we should revisit pineapple. <laughs> Always want to revisit pineapple. Oh, sure. Yes. 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 It's, not, it's, not, it's not good for me, but uh, yeah. it's one of those things that I can't eat. Um, due, due possibly to its enzyme bromelain, which uh, which listener Aaron hipped us to in the way back. Still need to check on that. Uh, apparently apparently bromelain is, is broken down by heat, which means that canned pineapple and canned pineapple juice are okay for some folks with a pineapple intolerance because the canning involves heating. Mm-hmm. Um, I honestly have not had a day... Yet, where I was like, you know, I, I really feel like testing this out. That's fair. <laughs> that That's a very specific day where you probably need the whole day. Yeah. Alone. Yeah. <laughs> Not a lot going on. Right. Nowhere to be. Nowhere to, time. sure. Yeah. Oh, lots of ginger just in case. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe one day, but maybe not. Maybe not. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, so so many of our interviewees brought it up. Uh, uh, Taylor Kellerman actually got his start in pineapple. He was our uh, our buddy from Kualoa Ranch, um, and uh, the the Kohana Distilleries, sugarcane fields, and agricultural rum production all happen on what used to be a pineapple plantation. 
the one that Taylor used to work on, in fact. Yes. Um, and we can we can run a quote here if we want to. Do you guys want to? I always want a quote. So all of the land that we're going to walk on today is going to be old Del Monte land. So it started off as sugarcane back in 18, probably 70, maybe a touch earlier than that. Del Monte had all of this land down this corridor. Now it's divided up amongst some small plot farmers and frankly, a few big guys too. Um, but Del Monte has, they dug out about 10 years ago. It was really big news. It's really expensive to farm in Hawaii. So growing pineapples in the Philippines seemed like a better idea. And the sugar industry is dead here as well. The last mill closed in 2016. So when you think commodity production in the world, Hawaii is not the place to do it. Expensive labor, expensive land, and you have to ship everything. So it's kind of a weird thing that it ever worked even for a little bit. That was not Taylor, but uh, but uh, Kyle Rittner from the Kohana distillery yes. that you just heard. Yes. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, and Senator uh, Donovan Delacruz even said that he was inspired to make agricultural policy one of his main projects, like as a government servant because of the pineapple industry. Um, but more on that later. Yeah, it was just everywhere. The, the kind of ghost of pineapples past and its power that it once held in Hawaii, just everywhere. Yeah, I'm also you consumed it a lot. <laughs> Through, through many cocktails, uh, mm. and Dylan and Andrew, um, uh, <laughs> there was let's see, there was that one at the at uh, Harry's Hardware Emporium that elevated slushy. Oh yeah. Uh, <laughs> oh, and the the Royal Hawaiian, the super fancy mai tai. Yes, that was good. <sighs> and the one we talked about in our um, Lily Koi episode. I don't think it had pineapple in it, but it came with a very because you had to get one without the big garnish. Yeah, because it had this beautiful pineapple, big, juicy pineapple oh. wedge. And I had some fresh pineapple <laughs> at a farmer's market we oh, went to. Oh, right, yeah. <laughs> oh, my God. Oh, my God. Uh, I'm really jealous I'm right sorry. now. I'm sorry. <laughs> this is one of my biggest, because I know you have a lot of things that you can't really eat. This is one that really hurts. I, I feel pain for you because <laughs> it's so good. Uh, it's all right. I, I, can, I can smell it. <laughs> well, Okay. I appreciate the silver linings of it. I don't think it's the same, but I I appreciate what you're trying to do. I you thank thank you. I you're welcome. Um does this bring us to our question? <laughs> I suppose it does. <laughs> Pineapple. What is it? Well, a pineapple is the fruit of a plant by the botanical name Ananas camosis. I I think I'm saying that right. Uh, every pineapple is actually made up of dozens of individual fruits that have grown and smushed up together into a whole. Uh, the plant has long, spiky green leaves circling a single stem, and that stem will put off a head of a tiny red or purple flowers, which each develop into these fruits. And yeah, that's what all the uh, segments or like eyes on the fruit are, um, evidence of those individual berries that grow from the individual flowers on the plant's uh, single central stem, which uh, which becomes the core of the fruit. Very cool. Mm-hmm. And the rind of the resulting fruit, um, it's called a multiple fruit okay. for perhaps obvious reasons. Uh-huh. Um, it, the, the rind is stiff and waxy um, with a small spike on each segment, and that's the butt end of each flower, um, plus a specialized leaf called a bract. That's the little spiky bit. Uh-huh. Yeah. Um, also, the stem will grow a, a tuft of shorter green leaves at its top, forming the crown of the fruit. And yeah, the whole plant can grow uh, uh, like one and a half meters uh, tall, about about five feet so yes, the result is an oblong fruit with an inedible rind that's uh, anywhere from green to yellow to orange to reddish when it's ripe. Um, often a combination of a couple of those will appear in each little segment. And the flesh inside can range in color from yellow to white with a juicy, stringy segments surrounding a firmer and stringier core. Uh, the flavor is, is bright to the point of almost sharpness um, and tropical um, and can range from sort of like puckery to super sweet. Yes. Mm-hmm. Kind of has a nice burn. Yeah. Like in the best way. <laughs> the best kind of, kind of burn. Yeah. I like a good burn. <laughs> Me too. <laughs> I'm glad we're on the same page there. Uh-huh. 
Um, but you've probably only had one type of pineapple, and that is the MD2 cultivar, um, which is a hybrid that was developed to preserve the sweetness while lowering the acidity and preventing browning, which was a problem for um, the previously most popular fresh pineapple type called smooth cayenne. I love that name. Smooth cayenne. That should be a band name. If it isn't already, (laughs) somebody do it. Get on it. Mm -hmm. Um, (laughs) Smooth smooth cayenne makes up uh, more than 50% of the MD2 hybrid. But um, yeah, there are lots and lots and lots of varieties, some of which I think you can only find on Hawaii. Yes, and that is one of my biggest regrets is that we didn't. I know there's a place that you can go, and I think it was— 15 varieties? It, it was several. Yeah, <laughs> Several yeah. that you could try, and this was kind of news to me that yeah. as someone who loves pineapple, there were all these different types, Times. and I could only get them in this one place. And we didn't go. We didn't get around to it. Oh, no. Well, we just have to go back. I mean, that's okay. Okay. Yeah, no, that's— We can oh, handle all right. that. Sure. <laughs> no <laughs> problem. We can manage. <laughs> Pineapple harvesting still has to be done largely by hand, and it takes about two years for a pineapple to grow to maturity. Um, Harvesters walk through the crop in these thick suits to protect themselves from the spiky leaves. And once the crop is harvested, the field will be knocked down to to make way for the new growing cycle. Wow. Mm-hmm. The kind we eat are seedless. You grow new pineapple by uh, rooting a piece of an existing plant. Uh, To form the seed, you would need pollination, and um, hummingbirds are the most frequent pollinators. However, seed formation isn't great for the quality of the fruit, which is why Hawaii prohibits the importation of hummingbirds. No hummingbirds. No hummingbirds. Keep them out of Hawaii. Those monsters. I'm glad someone else (laughs) finally said it. Annie Reese doesn't really like dogs, doesn't like hummingbirds. I am a people pleaser <laughs> all around. Also, I got some negative thoughts on Baby Yoda. No, I'm just oh, kidding. I'm just no. kidding. I'm just kidding. Don't, don't come at me. <laughs> I've already experienced it before. Don't do it. Oh, heck. That that would be serious. I'm like, okay, like dogs are slobbery. Like I get a few, you know, mm-hmm. I don't know, like you might be allergic to them. But Baby Yoda is good and pure and perfect. <laughs> You're, you're right. I uh, I shouldn't have even joked about such a thing. <laughs> oh, I've learned a valuable lesson here. Huh, uh, pineapples, though, are are apparently easy to grow on your own. You just take the crown from the plant of of one that you you know have presumably eaten, but put the crown somewhere dry and dark for a week so it'll harden, and then uh, in an eight inch porous pot with good drainage, not bad drainage, lay down a layer of gravel, then light layer of soil, thirty percent composted material, and Voila, let it grow. Huh. Uh, once it starts to grow, you want to transplant it to a to a bigger pot with the same conditions. But it, I, I know this partially because there's this nice fellow who sometimes hangs out in uh, a local farmer's market, your decab farmer's market, yeah. near the pineapples and talks to people buying the fruit. About, about pineapples? About how to grow pineapples. He's like, did you know that you can just grow your own pineapple? You think that's just like a hobby for him? I think it is. I think he's like a retired horticulturist or something like that. Oh, that's – I like that. And – He's just sharing his knowledge. He's just right. He's mm-hmm. just heckin' excited about pineapples. As are we. We can I, relate. Abs- well, yes. Yes. You can relate. I, yes, I can. Oh. I can. I do have a friend who is uh, growing his own pineapple, and I'm kind of jealous. And oh. I keep asking for updates. And he's like, stop bothering me about this pineapple <laughs> business. And I'm, but it's for science. <laughs> <laughs> and we did see some two super cute Tiny little pineapples little in Hawaii. Baby pineapples. They're so small. But yeah. their like fronds were huge. Big, big fronds. It tiny was cool. pineapples. Yes. Yeah. Oh. It was pretty rad. Mm-hmm. Oh, uh, but if you're ever in the store and you don't have this guy and you're wondering how the heck do I pick out a good pineapple, never fear. You want to look for one that has a green leaves and a firm body. Um, unlike most fruits, pineapples don't ripen more once they've been picked um, because they, they draw their sweetness from their from their starch. Base. Um, generally, though, uh, the sooner you eat them, the better. And if you cut it up, store it in the fridge. Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, nutrition-wise, pineapple, especially when fresh, is pretty healthy. It's high in vitamin C and manganese, which uh, helps out your immune system and bone strength, among loads of other things. It does have fructose, though, so, you know, remember, relative moderation. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, uh, the aforementioned bromelain, um, that enzyme found in pineapple, um, can be used as a meat tenderizer and a cut fruit preserver um, and is sometimes used as an anti-inflammatory. There aren't any studies that conclusively show that this works, but researchers are looking into that and into um, bromelain's potential cancer-fighting properties. 
Yeah, I do find pineapple is the source of a lot of health trends. Ah, uh, yes, mm-hmm. you know, dieting trends. So always, as always, we recommend uh, doctor professionals because that's not us. No, <laughs> no, zero percent. Bodies are complicated. Yes, but if you like pineapple, eat it. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, however, hmm. however, unripe pineapple is toxic. Um, and eating a lot of pineapple cores. Um, I mean, they're they're edible, but they're so fibrous that it can apparently lead to the formation of fiber balls in the digestive tract. Ooh, which does not sound no. good. No, I don't think you want those. I very much don't want those. <laughs> no, thank you. But speaking of fiber, um, fibers from the leaves are woven into embroidery thread, cloth, and paper in places like Brazil and the Philippines. So cool. Mm-hmm. We do have some numbers for you. Uh-huh. Despite their association with Hawaii, they are not native to Hawaii, nor is Hawaii the top producer anymore, at mm-hmm. least. In 2014, the top producers of pineapple were Costa Rica, Brazil, and the Philippines, with total worldwide production equaling 25.4 million tons. Behind applesauce and peaches, pineapple is the most canned fruit. Huh. Huh, indeed. And behind the Pearl Harbor bombing site, the Dole Pineapple Plantation is the most visited tourist attraction in Hawaii. Currently, Hawaii produces less than 1% of the world's crop of pineapples. While we were there, we didn't visit Dole. Nope. But we did go to um, a distillery, Hali Imale Distillery Tour and Tasting Room on Maui. Yeah, they use uh, fermented pineapple as the base of their neutral spirit, from which they produce vodkas, rums, whiskeys, other stuff, uh, which means that I got to have at least one pineapple product while we were on the island. Yes. Yes. Uh, yeah, they, they opened up shop on one of the former commercial pineapple plantations on Maui, um, one that was growing a varietal called MD1, um, known to the public as the trademarked Maui Gold, yes. um, which is bred to be even sweeter still than the MD2. Um, so it has a lot of sugar for the yeast to act on. The fermentation room in there smelled so good. Oh. I love the smell of any fermentation room because mm-hmm. I'm kind of a weird nerd. But, <laughs> um, but, but man, that oh, was just so like fresh and bright and musky. Yeah, it was really invigorating almost. Yeah. And... Oh. One thing we heard from a lot of people, I actually have a lot of friends who asked me for this, was the pineapple as a souvenir. Oh. Send the pineapple home. Yeah. I did not do that for, I did a whole joke thing where I got, it's like, I got you a pineapple, but I had these little <laughs> pineapple gummies because I'm a terrible friend. <laughs> they were big and expensive and we had a poster to handle. We did have a very big poster <laughs> about fishing and sustainability in Hawaii that we were in charge of and that was enough. That was enough. Um, if we're looking at money, as of 2015, pineapples were a $9 billion industry. Oof. The U.S. imports 1.17 million tons of pineapples as of 2017. In the U.S., Easter is the number one retail week for pineapples. Huh. Yeah. I wonder if it's like pineapples on like an Easter ham, like doing. Oh. Or like if there's yeah, like some maybe. kind of. What, what other pineapple, if if y'all use pineapple in your Easter cooking, write mm-hmm. in and let us know. Yes, please do. Oh, gosh. And like cauliflower, this is another example of the golden spiral in nature. Yeah, uh, the plants, leaves, and berries grow in uh, numbers in the Fibonacci sequence. Um, so, like, if you look at the segments on a pineapple, you'll see that they form spirals around the plant, uh, double helices of spirals, actually, uh, meaning they they interweave crossways. Um, And yeah, it's just extremely likely that if you count the number of segments in each spiral, the number will be 13 or 21. Wow. um, Which are two adjacent numbers in the Fibonacci sequence. Uh, The the golden spiral is also constructed from the sequence. It goes uh, 1, 1, 2, 3, 5, 8, 13, 21, etc. With each new number being the sum of the two previous numbers. And lots of plants grow seeds and petals and leaves in the sequence, and it's why four-leaf clovers are so rare, because they're a genetic anomaly from the typical three. Oh, cool. Yeah. There's something very calming about reading numbers. Yeah. Unless it's a number station. Unless, right, unless it's in Lost. And yeah. then, <laughs> yes. And then it's not Very calming. specifically. Right. <laughs> Pineapple is used in all kinds of things. Cocktails, fruit salads, a key ingredient in some versions of ambrosia like mine, <laughs> on uh-huh. Hawaiian pizza, in stir fries, tacos al pastor. 
And it shows up in all kinds of pop culture. I remember after we did this, I, it was the Oscar-nominated movie. A lot of people wrote in. I think it was the favorite had a scene with the pineapple. Oh, oh, right. Yeah, uh-huh. I think it was that. Um, <laughs> and SpongeBob, obviously. It's uh-huh. in the theme song. <laughs> Very important. In 2017, a student in Scotland left a pineapple at an art exhibit hoping it would be mistaken for art. And sure enough, four days later, when he came back, there was a glass case around the pineapple. This is one of my favorite, most heartwarming stories. Me too. Of all time. I love it. I love it. And, you know, now in the context of that piece that was just sold with the banana taped to the wall. Oh. And it was called Starving Artist, and the artist <laughs> ate the banana after it sold for like $200,000. Oh, shnikes. Yeah, so this he was a trendsetter, he yeah. or she, whoever left this uh, pineapple. <laughs> I love that. That's great. <laughs> um, there's also tiki culture, which we'll talk about a little bit later on. Um, we have yet to do a whole episode about all the kitchen nostalgia and appropriation and other weirdness that goes into all this, but um, uh, tiki is definitely in the midst of a resurgence. It is indeed. Mm-hmm. And pineapples also show up for other reasons, historical reasons. Mm-hmm. And we'll get into some of those uh, after we get back from a quick break for a word from our sponsor. Today's episode is brought to you by Westholm. I'm a person who doesn't really cook with a lot of meat, to be honest, because when I do, I want it to be special. I'm the same, and I do love sharing that food with people. And I have to say, we received some product, some steak, (laughs) Mm -hmm. and I am very eager to share it with my friends. (laughs) Yeah, uh, Westholm sent us uh, a few of their products, and they included these gorgeous, gigantic tomahawk steaks that I, like, opened the box and immediately sent a picture to my best grilling friend, like, hang out soon. (laughs) Yes, I did too. (laughs) Westholm offers these beautifully marbled steaks because they have 16 million acres of rangeland across the northeast corner of Australia, from Brisbane to Darwin. They use a nature-led approach with the belief that if they balance the needs of their cattle with the needs of their environment, both can thrive. Their cattle graze on native grasses like Mitchell grass, which is found only in Australia, and roam wild, foraging at will for the first two to three years of their lives. The result is Wagyu beef that reflects the terroir of northern Australia and a quality that would complement whatever you're into cooking right now. Westholm believes that when nature leads, flavor follows. Learn more at westholm.com slash savor. That's W-E-S-T-H-O-L-M-E dot com slash savor. Today's episode is brought to you by Discover Puerto Rico. We've talked in a bunch of different episodes about facets of Puerto Rican cuisine, um, like the dish mofongo, made of savory, deep-fried mashed plantains studded with some kind of tasty protein, and the creation of the cool, creamy pina colada. But there is so much more there. Um, I've actually never been. You have a tiny bit of experience, don't you? Yes. Unfortunately, it was a very tiny bit of experience. Mm -hmm. I was there for about a day. I'm kicking myself for that now. I remember having delicious rums, delicious drinks. But I want to go back because, yeah, so many episodes we do on here, when we're talking about food from Puerto Rico, I want that. Mm -hmm. And (laughs) it sounds amazing. We're trying to get a saver team trip together. Oh, absolutely. Well, I mean, we're we're trying to get a trip to a lot of places, but this is yeah. this is really top of the list. Even putting together this ad read made me hungry. I was like, oh, oh, I want to try those things. Yeah, as we've talked about before, there are influences there from African and Spanish and native Taino foodways. The culinary scene sounds amazing, and we want to go. And I'm hungry. No me passport too. is required for U.S. citizens and permanent residents. You can learn more and plan your trip at discoverpuertorico.com. Happy Pride from Tomboy X, celebrating pride and the queer community all year. Queer founded, queer run, and the makers of the original boxer briefs for women, creating sustainable size and gender inclusive underwear, swimwear, and loungewear for all bodies so you feel comfortable in your own skin. Tomboy X just dropped their Pride 24 collection, obsessively fit tested for all day comfort in sizes three extra small through 6X. Visit TomboyX.com. What if AI could help your business deliver mission-critical outcomes with speed? With IBM Consulting, your business can design, build, and scale trusted AI using Watson X and modernize the way you work to accelerate real impact. Let's create AI that transforms your business. Learn more at ibm.com consulting. IBM. 
Let's create. And we're back. Thank you, Spencer. Yes, thank you. And we are back with so much history. So much great history. I'm telling you, this is one of my favorite. (laughs) So many interesting facts in this one. Yeah. But let's get into it. Yes. Pineapples originated in South America, most likely in Brazil or Paraguay. Mm -hmm. They were domesticated possibly as far back as 6,000 years ago, possibly by the Tupi and or Guarani people, and spread throughout the continent from there into Central America, Mexico, and the West Indies. Local cultivators called it nana, or excellent fruit. I've also seen its meaning listed as perfumed, um, but either way, yeah, that's where we get that scientific name, uh, ananas, comosis. Yeah, that one. Yes. <laughs> and also, Ananas is a character in our D&D campaign, and she looks like a pineapple. I laughed and laughed when she showed up, and everyone was like, why is this so funny? And I told them probably too much about pineapples. <laughs> I don't think so. You can never <laughs> say enough about pineapples. <laughs> Especially at the D&D table. True. <laughs> Where else? In addition to being eaten raw or cooked, uh, pineapple juice was also fermented to make wine and liquors. It was, and in some regions still is, also used medicinally due to that bromelain content for a bunch of things. as a cure for gastrointestinal parasites and other stomach problems, to cure skin problems like corns and warts, to stimulate menstrual flow, and to induce abortion. Huh. And uh, non-edible cultivars were grown for the strong fiber in their leaves, which was uh, woven to make stuff like clothing, hammocks, and fishing nets. Hmm. Mm-hmm. In 1493, Christopher Columbus... Oh, that guy. Yep. ...stumbled upon the pineapple when he stopped on Guadalupe, and he called it Pina de Indies, or Pine of the Indians. In his journal, he described it as resembling a pine cone, but also as a sweet fruit with an apple's firmness. Okay. Yeah. He returned to Spain with some pineapples where they were a huge hit. People really liked how sweet they were. Ah. Mm-hmm. When people tried to grow their own pineapples in Europe, or more particularly in England, they found little to no success due to the non-tropical weather for this very tropical plant. Yeah. Holland did have some success, however, and Dutchman Pieter de la Corte van der Voort is credited with growing the first pineapple in Europe in 1658. So, Europeans had to import pineapples, which was extremely time-consuming and expensive, and the fruit often arrived bruised and or rotten. Uh, yeah, they, they can't survive frost is the thing. They do best in temperatures like above 65 degrees Fahrenheit or 18 Celsius. Mm-hmm. So pretty warm. Yeah. Magellan also got in the pineapple game after he found them in Brazil in 1519, which increased the import of pineapples into Europe. They often arrived candied or covered in syrup since, yeah, the, the transport of it, of the fruit was so difficult. Mm-hmm. During the 15 and 1600s, Spain and Portugal introduced the pineapple to places like Hawaii, possibly, (laughs) Guam, (laughs) the Philippines, Zimbabwe, 1550 in India, 1594 in China, and 1655 in South Africa. Meanwhile, the word pineapple first appeared in print around this time in 1664, and it got its name thanks to the resemblance to a pine cone. (laughs) Previously, pineapple was used to describe pine cones, a word that also popped up in text for the first time in 1664. Huh. Due to the high cost of refined sugar, the low availability of sweets, and pineapple's rarity, it quickly became a symbol of wealth. Ah. King Charles II commissioned a painting of him receiving a pineapple from his gardener as a display of his, his royalty and wealthitude. <laughs> I love it. Paint a picture of me getting this pineapple, please. Because I'm important enough to get pineapples, and I want everyone to know it. We should... How much would it cost for us to commission a painting of similar? I mean, Hmm. we already have those photos of us holding pineapples, but it's not the same. Yeah, we need to do the whole thing. Okay. We'll look into this. (laughs) Royals often gave pineapples as gifts when they were looking to impress someone. Mm -hmm. In 1700s colonial America, perishable and rare pineapples imported from the Caribbean islands could cost as much as $8,000. What? In today's money. 8,000? Yes. For a pineapple? One pineapple. Oh, gosh. $8,000. At the time, most entertaining went on inside people's houses. Sure. At at things like dinner parties. And when well-off colonists wanted to show off, they would display a pineapple at these dinner parties. 8,000 bucks for a display pineapple? Yep. Their main use was decoration. (laughs) And I guess to make people feel worse about themselves or better about (laughs) you. I don't know. (laughs) 
<laughs> they would only eat them once the pineapples start to go bad. Oh, no. Yes. And perhaps because of this, pineapples came to symbolize hospitality. More on that in a minute. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but, okay, what about those poor souls? Like who, you and I. Who perhaps couldn't afford to purchase outright. A pineapple. Yes. There was a system <laughs> ready for you. If you couldn't afford a pineapple, there was a rental market oh you could gosh. go to. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yes. Enterprising pineapple sellers or bakers who use pineapples in their desserts and also were pretty in the loop about local dinner parties oh, yeah. would rent out pineapples before selling them, and people would carry them around at parties. A pineapple. This is one of my favorite facts ever. I want to bring it back. Just imagine you're at a party and a bunch of people are carrying pineapples. And I'm imagining you don't mention it, you know? Sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because everyone is just so impressed. But it's probably, like, rude to, like, really point it out. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And you got to hold it kind it, of. Yeah. Well, I mean, due to aforementioned photo shoot, like, those things are not comfortable to no. hold. And they're, they're kind of heavy. They are. Yeah, and spiky. That's why I love it so much. <laughs> Yeah, ultimately, though, fashion is about that. It's about how much pain you're willing to put in for for a look. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, deep. Well, <laughs> well I, you know, yeah, let's, you know, we are the music makers. We are the dreamers of the pineapples. We can, we can make this happen. Okay. Our next work party. <laughs> let's coordinate. Okay. Bring All in right. some pineapples. All right. I'm going to, like, shave off the spiky bits. <laughs> Yeah, that's true. We can be we can be enterprising in our own way about this. Okay. Okay. Uh, meanwhile, George Washington named it his favorite tropical fruit after trying it in Barbados in 1751. And yes, it is around this time in the 1760s that the pineapple as a symbol of friendship and hospitality became super trendy. They were on napkins, tablecloths, wallpaper, bedposts, pineapple-shaped dishes, on the gatepost outside residences, on the backs of chairs, on weather vanes of important public buildings, pineapple-shaped candelabras and pitchers, door knockers. In the Caribbean, you'd put a pineapple or a pineapple crown outside your door to represent friendship. What? They were everywhere. Love it. And you can still see evidence of it to this day. In fact, since we've done this episode, I see this all the time. Oh, yeah. All the time. Mm -hmm. And I hear they're pretty prevalent in colonial Williamsburg. I believe the first time we did this episode, listeners wrote in and confirmed that they are. Oh, great. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. There is even a a huge pineapple-shaped bit of architecture in Dunmore Park, Scotland, built in 1761. The building that this pineapple tops originally contained... A hothouse. And we um, very highly recommend you look it up because it is a thing of beauty. It is majestic. Mm-hmm. Yes. But that's not all. Uh, foods were pressed into pineapple shapes, non-pineapple foods into pineapple shapes. Yep. Uh, pineapple-shaped cakes, cookies, candies, gelatin molds. Um, oh, but that didn't fit the alliteration. Yeah. We love, we love some alliteration around here. We do. All the while, Europe hadn't given up on growing their own pineapples. And with the advent of the hothouse in the 17th century, pineapples could be grown more widely in Europe. The first recorded instance of pineapple hothouses dates back to 1642, belonging to the Duchess of Cleveland, from which she gifted a pineapple to King Charles II, which is how that aforementioned painting came about. Mm -hmm. I love it. Uh, But yeah, even with hothouses, pineapples couldn't be produced on a large scale, and the cost was still high due to all of the equipment and labor that was required. Like, so high, in fact, that just owning one of these hothouses meant for pineapples— they were called pineries or pineapple stoves, by the way. Um, just having one of these hothouses became a symbol for wealth along with the physical pineapple. Yes. The hothouse, <laughs> symbol of wealth. The pineapple inside the hothouse, <laughs> even more symbol of wealth. They do look like a crown. They do look majestic. They do. I can see it. Sure. Allegedly, in 1779, the pineapple was even used in political discourse, with an egalitarian dissenter saying, What right has one man to eat a pineapple, for which he gave a guinea, when another is starving for want of a halfpenny worth of bread? With his opponent's response being, How many depend for their share of the guinea paid for the pineapple? When you shall have divided the guineas between all of these, I think the gentleman might eat with a good conscience. Oh, Snap. <laughs> I think so. 
Sounds like a snap. It sounds like a snap, I mm-hmm. I guess. Well, sure. I, I could tell. That's actually a deep question for another day. It is, right? Uh, in the 1770s, um, British Captain James Cook may have planted pineapples on various islands around the South Pacific. Most of the accounts of how the pineapple made it to Hawaii are probably apocryphal. One popular story puts pineapples on the islands in the 1790s, introduced there by Spanish horticulturist Francisco de Paula Marin. For a period, he served as the interpreter for King Kamehameha I, while simultaneously experimenting with introducing a bunch of species of plants on the islands. His records are the first written mention of pineapple on the islands. Quote, This day I planted pineapples and an orange tree. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, some stories say that the aforementioned James Cook brought pineapples with him in 1778, but others say that he found them already growing there. History's mysteries. Indeed. Mm-hmm. At any rate, pineapples were growing in the wild and in people's gardens in Hawaii by the time American missionaries arrived in 1820. Lutheran missionaries introduced the pineapple to Australia in the 1830s, where it still grows. As ship speed technology improved throughout the 1800s with cutter ships and steamships, pineapples were imported from the Caribbean and Central America to wealthy folks in New York City. There was an attempt to grow them in the United States to avoid these high shipping costs. Um, They were grown poorly in Texas and California and then a little bit better in Florida starting in 1860 in the Keys and most successfully in a belt along South Florida's east coast, um, stretching from Fort Pierce down to Miami through the early 20th century. But the plantations there wore out the soil, and that plus South Florida's tendency to occasionally experience frost wiped out the crop. Yes. Also, around the 1860s, pineapple from the Bahamas and Cuba was canned in Baltimore, the canning center of America. Seriously, it was <laughs> really new and expensive technology. <laughs> But the pineapples canned around that time were picked green, which yellowed over time, but didn't actually ripen further and therefore weren't as tasty as a real ripe pineapple. Technicians in Baltimore developed the machines that core and slice pineapples into the familiar rings. And this brings us to one of those companies named for a single dude, Dole. But first, it brings us to a word from our sponsor. Today's episode is brought to you by Westholm. I'm a person who doesn't really cook with a lot of meat, to be honest, because when I do, I want it to be special. I'm the same, and I do love sharing that food with people. And I have to say, we received some product, some steak, (laughs) Mm -hmm. and I am very eager to share it with my friends. Yeah, uh, Westholm sent us uh, a few of their products, and they included these gorgeous, gigantic tomahawk steaks that I, like, opened the box and immediately sent a picture to my best grilling friend, like, hang out soon. Yes, I did too. (laughs) Westholm offers these beautifully marbled steaks because they have 16 million acres of rangeland across the northeast corner of Australia, from Brisbane to Darwin. They use a nature-led approach with the belief that if they balance the needs of their cattle with the needs of their environment, both can thrive. Their cattle graze on native grasses like Mitchell grass, which is found only in Australia, and roam wild, foraging at will for the first two to three years of their lives. The result is Wagyu beef that reflects the terroir of northern Australia, and a quality that would complement whatever you're into cooking right now. Westholm believes that when nature leads, flavor follows. Learn more at westholme.com slash savor. That's W-E-S-T-H-O-L-M-E dot com slash savor. Today's episode is brought to you by Discover Puerto Rico. We've talked in a bunch of different episodes about facets of Puerto Rican cuisine, um, like the dish mofongo, made of savory, deep-fried mashed plantains studded with some kind of tasty protein, and the creation of the cool, creamy pina colada. But there is so much more there. Um, I've actually never been. You have a tiny bit of experience, don't you? Yes. Unfortunately, it was a very tiny bit of experience. Mm -hmm. I was there for about a day. I'm kicking myself for that now. I remember having delicious rums, delicious drinks. But I want to go back because, yeah, so many episodes we do on here, when we're talking about food from Puerto Rico, I want that. Mm -hmm. And (laughs) it sounds amazing. We're trying to get a saver team trip together. Oh, absolutely. (laughs) Well, I mean, we're we're trying to get a trip to a lot of places, but this is this is really top of the list. Even putting together this ad read made me hungry. I was like, oh, oh, I want to try those things. 
Yeah, as we've talked about before, there are influences there from African and Spanish and native Taino foodways. The culinary scene sounds amazing, and we want to go. And I'm hungry. No Me passport too. is required for U.S. citizens and permanent residents. You can learn more and plan your trip at discoverpuertorico.com. Happy Pride from Tomboy X. Celebrating pride in the queer community all year. Queer founded, queer run, and the makers of the original boxer briefs for women. Creating sustainable size and gender inclusive underwear, swimwear, and loungewear for all bodies so you feel comfortable in your own skin. Tomboy X just dropped their Pride 24 collection. Obsessively fit tested for all day comfort in sizes three extra small through six X. Visit TomboyX.com. What if AI could help your business deliver mission critical outcomes with speed? With IBM Consulting, your business can design, build, and scale trusted AI using Watson X and modernize the way you work to accelerate real impact. Let's create AI that transforms your business. Learn more at ibm.com slash consulting. IBM. Let's create. And we're back. Thank you, Spencer. Yes, thank you. And we're back with more history. Yes. And yes, Dole. Mm -hmm. Okay. By this time in the mid-1800s, California was in the midst of a gold rush and was importing so much pineapple from Hawaii. And this, along with sugarcane, spurred the many waves of immigrants that came to Hawaii and uh, helped make the island's cultures what they are today. Uh, European and American business humans found that they needed laborers to replace the native population, which had been rapidly dwindling due to introduced disease and uh, other issues. Um, the indigenous population dropped from around 300,000 when Cook arrived in 1778 to about 70,000 by 1853, which is around when the first wave of Chinese immigrants began arriving. But pineapple still didn't really take to the journey overseas and frequently rotted along the way. English horticulturist and Captain John Kidwell got the idea to can pineapple in Hawaii and sell it in 1882, though he wasn't the first. And this was after he'd conducted several experiments to find the best pineapple cultivar. Smooth cayenne was the winner. Yeah, without Kidwell, the pineapple might never have become as uh, globally popular or available as it did. And you can check out Stuff You Missed in History Class. They have a whole episode on the story. They do. Mm -hmm. But the U.S. tariff on imported fruits and exorbitant shipping costs made it pretty much impossible for Kidwell to make a profit. And he shut down in 1898, which was too bad for him, because uh, later that same year, the Hawaiian Kingdom was annexed by the U.S. after the Spanish-American War and the tariff was lifted. Mm -hmm. As we said in our Intro to Oahu episode, mostly white European and American businessmen, especially in the burgeoning and potentially massively lucrative sugarcane and pineapple industries on the island, did not want to have to deal with the Hawaiian monarchy. So they pressured the king to sign the Bayonet Agreement in 1887, a new constitution signed at gunpoint. And this essentially allowed only those of certain ethnicities, mostly white people, of a certain wealth, mostly rich people, <laughs> to vote and drastically diminish the power of the native monarchy. When Queen Liliuokalani came to power, she attempted to replace this constitution with her own, which didn't sit well with the businessmen benefiting from the constitution that they had forcibly instituted. The aid of the U.S. government, Sanford Dole, cousin of James Dole, led a coup against the queen. Faced with the U.S. militia, the queen surrendered. Sanford Dole, meanwhile, was appointed president of the Republic of Hawaii. Whew, yeah, it is a really intense, fascinating, tragic story. Pineapples, or rather the agriculture barons who controlled the pineapple plantations, you know, not the fruit themselves, had a direct hand in overthrowing the Hawaiian monarchy um, as U.S. commercial interest in local farmland increased. Yep. <laughs> With Kidwell's pineapple research and canning equipment in place, the industry was easy enough to restart. And in 1900, Jim Dole, who was 22 years old and knew nothing about canning, <laughs> bought up 61 acres of land for growing pineapples during a homestead expanse program in the newly annexed Republic of Hawaii. Dole established the Hawaiian Pineapple Company in 1901, and by 1903, the company had produced 1,900 cases of pineapple, lots of 19s, despite having <laughs> been called by the local press a foolhardy venture. Oh, they were very incorrect. That would be such a great review. A foolhardy venture. Those are the kind of reviews I like. <laughs> Savor a foolhardy yes, venture. I like it. <laughs> uh, um, at, at this time, I mean, they, they could be forgiven for thinking this because at this time, sugarcane was king in Hawaii. Um, 
Though um, uh, some of the Japanese immigrants who had been brought to the islands as indentured laborers um, kind of knew what was up. They, um, they, they moved from sugarcane to the relatively more flexible pineapple industry once their term was up. Um, in 1908, about 7.5 uh, percent of lands occupied by pineapple were run by folks of Japanese descent. Mm-hmm. But part of pineapple's eventual success was just luck because sugarcane doesn't do as well at high elevations. So that land was the land that was given over to these homesteaders and their pineapples. Um, Yeah, pineapples thrive at high elevations. Yes. But the pineapple still wasn't the easiest crop, and Dole operated at a loss for several years in the beginning. Which he could weather due to his excellent connections. Dole was very proactive in pushing for new technologies, and in 1913, this led to the invention of the Ganaka machine by Dole employee Henry Ganaka. This machine could remove the skin, core, and ends of pineapple in less than 30 seconds. In 1918, Dole produced 1 million cans of pineapple, and a slightly improved Ganaka machine is still used to this day. Huh. Yeah. Dole was also really good at marketing his product. Yeah. After a market crash in 1907, Dole's company and six other pineapple growers formed up into the Hawaiian Pineapple Growers Association, um, and they mounted the very first generic product ad campaign in the United States food processing industry. No one had ever just been like, pineapples, eat them before. Uh It was always like, this brand, eat that. This specific thing, yes. Right, sure, yeah. Um, And it worked and was soon copied by lots of other industries. Mm Mm-hmm. By 1920, as the industry shifted and consolidated, almost 88% of the small pineapple farms were Japanese-run. These were largely bought out by the big companies over the next few decades. Like Dole. By 1921, his business had taken off. And by 1923, Dole was packing more pineapple than anyone else in the business. The pineapple was Hawaii's biggest industry. And I remember when we interviewed Hawaiian Senator Donovan De La Cruz, he said pineapple juice ran in his veins. I think partially because he ate so much as yes. a kid. But, um, but, but mostly because he grew up surrounded by the industry, including his family, having worked in it for two generations. Yeah. During the 1920s, eating pineapple was perceived as a bit of a fad, uh, spawning culinary trends like the pineapple upside-down cake. <laughs> pineapple upside-down cake. <laughs> um And this was probably also partially due to um, the boom in air freight in the 1920s, which made shipping much quicker and easier, uh, though it wouldn't become fully widespread until uh, after World War II. The industry took a hit during the Great Depression, which started in 1929. It got so bad that James Dole was forced to resign as president of the Hawaiian Pineapple Company in 1932. However, the Hawaiian Pineapple Company's development of technology to produce high-quality canned pineapple juice in 1933 would help make up for some of those losses. Juice sales surged over the next couple decades. Mm-hmm. And that boom of pineapple juice sales in, uh, in the 1930s may have had to do with prohibition ending that year and with the rise of tiki bar culture starting in 1934 because that's when Don Beach, born Ernest Raymond Beaumont Gant, returned from rum running in the South Pacific and opened Don's Beachcomber Cafe in California, which became the it spot for Hollywood royalty and um, started a fad for all things vaguely and or offensively Polynesian-themed um, that would stretch through the early 1970s and employ a large number of pineapples. Yes. Yes. You can hear more about that in our Mai Tai episode. Absolutely. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Though Dole is the most profitable, accounting for 75% of pineapples for the next seven decades, by the 1950s, eight other companies had taken note from Dole's success and set up shop in Hawaii. A series of uh, reorgs and consolidations helped Dole along. Yes. After World War II, the pineapple industry spread to places like Thailand and the Philippines, where the labor costs were way lower, like nine-tenths lower. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Yay, exploitation of overseas populations with fewer labor laws. Yeah. Yeah. Um, But, uh, okay, so as a result, the Hawaiian pineapple industry saw significant decline by the 1960s, leading to lots more consolidations. Those finally ended in the company becoming Dole in 1989. But despite attempts to innovate around canning and shipping a fresher product, Dole's cannery in Honolulu closed in 1991, and Del Monte left Hawaii in 2008. Most pineapple production in Hawaii today is to satisfy local demand, um, and cuisines on the islands still regularly feature pineapple. Yes. It's kind of a joke. 
that uh, it came up at least three times where <laughs> someone we were interviewing would say, but you put pineapple on something and people immediately assume it's Hawaiian. That's not true. And that's not how we eat. No. Um, <laughs> although although uh, Andrew did have a pizza that mm-hmm. had uh, that had uh, kalo pig and arugula and some kind of barbecue marinara base and pineapple. And it was good. <laughs> it was de- delicious. Oh <laughs> uh, yeah, that was it. That was at Moku. Everything there was delicious. Mm-hmm. Hmm. And uh, yeah, that brings us to today, more or less, <laughs> and uh, to an important discussion that we have to have here, which is the environmental impact of commercial pineapple production. So, um, the problems created by growing pineapple commercially all revolve around the fact that it's easiest to grow as a monoculture, meaning that you wipe out everything else and just grow that for acres and acres and acres. Um, And if the industry collapses, as it did on Hawaii, it's difficult to switch over those fields to supporting other crops because pineapple doesn't need as much, if any, irrigation. So you have to create a whole new infrastructure. Um, uh, We've mentioned Senator Dela Cruz a couple times in this episode, and he started our interview with him unprompted talking about this issue. So I'm Donovan De La Cruz. Aloha. I'm in the state Senate. I've been in the state Senate since 2010. And I represent central Oahu, which is Wahewa, uh, Milani Malka. And it, it's uh, where, all, where Dole first started. So when I grew up, there were 7,000 acres of pineapple land in central Oahu. What was it like growing up? With, with that, with that weird culture. No, so it was it was the norm for us. I mean, we saw pine. My grandparents came from the Philippines to pick uh, pineapple. My dad worked on the, in the fields during the summer when he was growing up. So it's it's difficult to see that Hawaii hasn't really transitioned into a uh, a much larger diversified agricultural society from pineapple and sugar. And so, I mean, I think there's potential. There's some land that has been lost because of development. Um, But it's not that easy just taking pineapple land and turning it into diversified ag because pineapple requires a different kind of infrastructure. Um, What are some of the projects and initiatives that uh, you do a lot of work in environmental and uh, agricultural uh, policy? What are some of the projects you're working on right now? So um, ever since I got to the Senate and before I was in the Senate, I was on the Honolulu City Council. So when I was on the council, uh, the, the city dedicated funds to purchase some ag land in partnership with the state and the army. So we bought about uh, 1,700 acres of ag land that was once Del Monte land, Del Monte pineapple, which was right next to the Dole land. And we actually finalized that purchase in 2012, even though we budgeted for it in 2008. So it took four years. And since then, um, I've added more and more money to the budget. And so now we're at about 41, 4,200 acres of pineapple land now in the state's ownership. But we also have to put in money for water infrastructure. So once we just, we have the land, that doesn't mean they can farm it right away. So we got, because pineapple didn't need water. It was a vermiliad, rain handled it. And so now when you do diversified ag, you have to put money in for water infrastructure. So we're looking at a a variety of of solutions. One solution is actually recycling water that is, is in a nearby lake. So, yeah, there are things that can be done to help agriculture recover from this kind of farming practice. But that's for areas that are moving on from pineapple. Another thing about monocropping is that it means eliminating all other plants in the area with herbicides. Bugs and molds are a problem, too, so add pesticides and fungicides to the mix. In the final product, you know, your your final pineapple, these substances come through as legally allowable residues, but they can be disastrous to the local humans and the whole ecosystem. And... This is why the pineapple is one of those stories of a lack of corporate concern for environmental and worker conditions in the face of expanding profits. Those chemicals used on pineapples in their largest supplying country, Costa Rica, are in fact illegal to use in Europe and other parts of the world due to their links to cancer, hormone disruption, and other chronic illnesses in local populations. And as of 2007, the Costa Rican government had to start importing water in tankers because the groundwater was deemed unsafe. 
And the worker conditions. Um, Again, in Costa Rica, there have been reports of undocumented immigrants from Nicaragua filling upwards of 60 percent of the pineapple plantation jobs. You know, the labor is hard and the conditions are dangerous due to chemical exposure. But as the immigrants aren't citizens, they can't participate in local unions and other efforts to assert worker rights. Similar things have gone on in the Philippines, particularly on dole plantations. And in Costa Rica, citizens who have fought for better conditions have sometimes met with forceful resistance, um, mass firings, and even rehirings with poorer contracts that exclude union members, and um, and even threats, um, suspected beatings and arson. So that's not good. No. No. Um, but you can do stuff to help. Uh, buy fair trade certified fruit if you can find it. Um, crops with that labeling are more likely to have been grown in conditions that prevent the need for heavy chemical use through practices like crop rotation. Um, and this is where some folks would also recommend buying organic. Uh, that's a term that honestly doesn't have a strong enough legal meaning here in the United States to make a for sure impact. We'll have to do a whole other depressing episode of that. We've oh, been yeah. kind of avoiding it. <laughs> um, yes. I mean, if it makes you feel better by organic. Yeah. Yeah. Um, agriculture is real complicated, y'all. It very much is. It is. And a lot of the laws around it also very complicated. Yep. <laughs> yep, yep, yep. We've had the pleasure of discussing some of those laws in this episode and in most of our episodes. <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> Learning so much. Legal scholars, that's what we are. Oh, absolutely. Yes. You can tell, I'm sure. (laughs) (laughs) Comes through. Well, that's a lot to say about the pineapple. Yes, but all of it is really fascinating, weird, important stuff. Yes. And it's, I just got to go get one and carry it around. What a beautiful, beautiful, weird thing. I People mean, are so fascinating. I say I say bring one to your to your New Year's uh party. Yes. <laughs> Hello 2020s. I've brought a pineapple. <laughs> oh, thank you, Lauren. Oh, uh, you're very welcome. And you know what? <laughs> Thanks to to the listeners for checking out this our our first of a redux. Yeah. Yeah. And we hope that you have Wonderful holidays, whatever you celebrate or don't celebrate. Just relax, be safe, be happy. If you, like, carry a pineapple around, please. Totally carry a pineapple. Take a picture. Send, send it. it in. Please. We need we need your, your hot pineapple stylings. <laughs> yes. <laughs> the hot stylings <laughs> of the pineapple. <laughs> they are very, I noticed they're on a lot of clothing. Yeah. 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 And since I've... Come out with my love of pineapples. I've got like a little purse and another little purse and <laughs> shirt with them on it, coat with them on it. They're the whole thing. So, so there you go. Yes. <laughs> if you would like to email us your your pictures of pineapples and you preferably carrying them around, you can. Our email is hello at saverpod.com. Or also on social media, you can you can tag us uh, in your pineapple pictures there. We're um, at saverpod on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, and we do hope to hear from you. Saver is a production of iHeartRadio and Stuff Media. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, you can visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. Thanks, as always, to our super producers, Dylan Fagan and Andrew Howard. Thanks to you for listening, and we hope that lots more good things are coming your way. Life in our modern age comes at you pretty fast, which makes our time away especially valuable. When I take time to relax, I like to get far from my everyday life, immerse myself in natural beauty, and have unique experiences. But you don't have to leave the U.S. to experience tropical rainforests and islands filled with adventure, warm culture, and national treasures. Visit Puerto Rico, an island with a vibrant spirit that will sweep you away. Because when you visit, you don't become part of the island, it becomes part of you. In Puerto Rico, you can forget where you came from and embrace where you are. Puerto Rico, where visits end, but stories last forever. No passport required for U.S. citizens and permanent residents. Learn more and plan your trip at discoverpuertorico.com. Happy Pride from Tomboy X. Celebrating pride and the queer community all year. Queer founded, queer run, and the makers of the original boxer briefs for women. Creating sustainable size and gender inclusive underwear, swimwear, and loungewear for all bodies so you feel comfortable in your own skin. Tomboy X just dropped their Pride 24 collection. Obsessively fit tested for all day comfort in sizes 3 extra small through 6X. Visit TomboyX.com. 
Your new home journey starts at Fisher Homes, where everything is red, white, and new. Explore exclusive summer savings and start your journey by selecting your ideal home site and your dream community. Choose from a variety of expertly designed floor plans and bring your style to life at the Lifestyle Design Center. Are you looking for a quick move-in ready home instead? Fisher Homes has options for those, too. Fill out a form to connect with a new home advisor at fisherhomes.com to get started today before the sun sets on summer savings. You wouldn't expect to hear that we're America's third best city for beer like this one. Or home to vibes like this. And this. It might surprise you that we're top 10 for immersive art that's like. Whoa. And. Hmm. Not to mention, we have one of the top zoos in the country. So can a city with the country's best pro soccer team, ranking as a top culinary destination in the world, be in your own backyard? Yes, Columbus. Plan your summer at experiencecolumbus.com slash summer. 